Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. We've heard these words already. We'll hear them again. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, our worship includes prayer. We pray a lot in worship. Uh, mostly one person leads us in a, in a worship or in a prayer, but sometimes we sing our prayer, sometimes we say our prayers together in unison. And there are many different kinds of prayer. Sometimes we pray a prayer of invocation, calling on God's spirit to be present and give blessing while we worship. God, please be present here. That's what we say. And then God assures us that he's here by giving us his blessing. We regularly pray a prayer of confession, asking God to forgive us for the, for the sins that we have done. We regularly pray a prayer of illumination, asking God, please open your scripture, open our minds, send your spirit, illumine our hearts and minds that, as we hear the Bible read and preached. And then we pray a prayer of application. After hearing God's words explained, dear God, let this be alive in our hearts. Let this change us and, and move us and, and help us live by what we just heard. And then we pray a prayer of offering. Asking God to use these gifts and pour out his blessing on the ministries these gifts support. And we also pray the prayers of the people. An elder usually does that in our service, asking God to, to supply us and our world with what we need for body and soul. And at baptism, we pray a baptismal prayer, thanking God for his promises and seeking God's blessing on the one baptized at the Lord's Supper. We, we call on God to, to use these elements to lift our hearts into, into heaven and help us to see God in, on the throne and, and thank him for the grace and work of Jesus. And we seek the Spirit to, to guide us and, and, and unify us together. And we pray prayers of lament, expressing our pain and sorrow at the way sin hurts us and hurts our world. Not many of our services include all of these prayers, but a service, a worship service, will include prayer. And, and there might be other kinds of prayer as well. All of them are sacred moments. All of them are moments in which the voice of God's people is lifted up to heaven. It's an awesome privilege as, as a leader of, of worship to lift the voice of the congregation before God in prayer. The Bible says that these moments of prayer, when, when we do these things, we are approaching God's throne of grace. This is the only place where we think of a throne of grace um, in terms of us going before him. One of the main purposes of prayer in worship is to lead our spirits into the presence of the living God. Prayer in worship is a deep, thoughtful way for us to 
in, in corporate together, corporate worship with God and have fellowship with God and give voice to our gratitude, give voice to our fear, give voice to our need, give voice to our trust, and we gain a small foretaste every time we pray of, of what it is because we join with the saints. We're not just praying here, we're praying in, you know, in the church down the street and down the street that way. In the church around the world, all the saints are in prayer and all the saints in heaven are in prayer and, and joining in prayer before the throne of grace we get a sense of what heaven is like. You know, we, we know thrones as, as special seats, special uh, chairs that only a king or a queen can sit on. It's a place of power. It's a place of authority. It's a place of majesty. It's a place of beauty and stability. These thrones are beautiful. They're opulent pieces of furniture built to last for thousands of years passing down through the generation to generation. Only certain people can be there. Only the king or the queen, and only those who are seated there are empowered to declare decisions and carry them out. Only when the queen's th throne speech is made can the government carry out what it says. If it doesn't get assent from the throne, it can't happen. The throne is a powerful place. The throne is also a place of, of judgment. Issues are brought before the throne, like King Solomon, who had two women come up before him about a baby, and in his wisdom, he, he, decided, he could figure out who was the real mother of this child. And, you know, the, the one who's sitting at the throne can decide important issues in your life for good or for ill. Thrones, thrones are designed to be intimidating places. They're, in t they're, they're designed to make you feel small. They're, they're in, it's, a, it's a place of, of pomp, of, cer of ceremony. It's a place of excruciatingly correct behavior and impeccable manners. In the Bible, you know, the king um, could only talk to, uh, Esther could only approach the king if he, if he gave his permission, as he, he pointed. If, she, if he didn't do that, she would die. They're intimidating places. You're supposed to feel the vast power of the one who sits on it. The one who sits there condescends to pay attention to little old you. That makes approaching the throne a fearsome thing. Imagine approaching King Charles III on the throne and pre to present a cause to him. Who knows what you're presenting, but you have an audience with the king. With, will all its pomp and pageantry intimidate you? Will you feel underdressed? Will you know when and how to bow? Will you feel like your needs are not nearly weighty enough for the attention of Charles III, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom, Canada, and his other realms and territories, King, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith? Just the title alone makes you feel small. Thrones are awesome places. They scare us. We might be glad that, we're, that they're there, but we'd rather stay away from a throne. How different it is for God's throne. God's throne is certainly majestic, a magnificent, powerful, awesome place, a place of judgment. John gives us a picture of the throne in Revelation chapter 4. 
At once I was in the Spirit, and before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. What an awesome, awesome place. Who wants to approach a place like that with ruby and lightning and thunder and and minor thrones that were even just going to one of those thrones would be intimidating. There at the center of the whole universe, at the pinnacle of all things physical and spiritual, is a throne and the one seated upon it with all authority, power, and majesty. And before, all, before this throne, all things in heaven and on earth must bow. Who are we to lift our prayers to that place? And yet we are not intimidated by this throne. Something about this throne fills us with hope, fills us with peace, fills us with comfort, makes us feel like we belong. The Bible says we can approach this throne with confidence. Doesn't mean you can be cocky, doesn't mean you can be in, have a sense of entitlement that you can saunter up to this throne and say, hey, hey God, how you doing? What do you got for me? As if the world and this throne revolves around you doesn't mean we can pray unthinkingly or carelessly. Our prayers and worship call for decorum, organization, reverence, consecration, clarity of thinking, and most of all, confidence, humble confidence. We are called, we can. Jesus' arms are wide open for us to come to that throne. And we can can approach this throne with confidence because who is at that throne? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We have a great high priest present at that throne in Jesus. He he is flesh and divine, human, and divine. He does what high priests do. He stands in the gap between God and between the people. And he represents God to the people, and he represents the people to God. And he is the one who stands there as an intermediary. In the Old Testament, high priests were the only ones who could enter the Holy of Holies, where the glory of God dwelt. And they could only do so after they had made sacrifices. And in that place, they offered up prayers to God, pleading the the cause of of the people to God, standing in for them. God, please accept the, the sacrifices of the people. They didn't know what they were doing. Please give your forgiveness. And, and Jesus does that. 
And he does it even better than any human high priest. He's the great high priest. He's in, in every way like us, except he was without sin. And as a result, he can intercede like no one before. He can take the wrath of God. He has taken the wrath of God on sin. He took away the sins of the world. And he's the one who represents us in his physical body and represents God in his divine nature. He came to this earth, God made flesh, and is now passed through the heavens and stands before God to plead our cause. In Jesus, we have the perfect person standing in for us. He's empathetic, understanding our weaknesses. He's God himself, perfect, without sin, able to be in that place without being destroyed. What an awesome person to have there for us. And we are confident because who is present at that throne? Our Savior and our friend. In the deep mystery of the Trinity, we have a hard time picturing what this is all about. God, Jesus, the Spirit on the throne, Jesus there, he's sitting on the throne, but he's, he's bringing us to the throne um, the, with the distinct roles of, of the three of the, of the Trinity. It's a mystery to us. But there is Jesus at that throne of grace, and he calls us with those most hospitable words that he can say, that anyone can say, those words of, of grace and, and peace, he says, come, come. You are welcome in this place. And he meets you outside the throne room, and he takes you by the hand, and he walks you into the presence of God. And he works for us when we come there with a heart of compassion and love, pleading our cause before God. And not only look who's at that throne, look what we get at that throne. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And those are the most powerful, the most beautiful words in this text. Mercy and grace. At the throne of grace, we receive mercy, not punishment. We receive grace, not condemnation. Mercy. Mercy means not receiving something that you have coming to you. Mercy means you did something wrong, and by rights, I should punish you. Mercy means I'm more powerful than you, and I want what you've got, and uh, I'm going to take it. Mercy means you, I'm not going to take it, because I don't want to. You, you don't have what's coming to you because of the one who is merciful. It's a glorious gift not to receive what we deserve. Instead, you receive understanding, compassion, forgiveness, restoration. When we go before this throne and confession of sins, God reassures us of his mercy toward us. Not because of what we did, but because of what God did, because of what lives in the one who is at that throne, mercy. Our God is a God of mercy. Because of Jesus, we find mercy. And a close cousin to mercy is grace. Grace is receiving a benefit you don't, you don't deserve. It's, it's not, mercy is not getting punished when you do. Grace is getting something, it's a more positive, getting something that you don't deserve. When, you, when somebody graces you with something, that means they give you something. It's a gift. It's, it's just sheer 
gift. You didn't do anything. Grace happens when someone gives you something even though you haven't worked hard enough or achieved enough to earn it. You don't deserve it and you get it anyway. Simply because you have a relationship with the one who has the power to give it to you and that person decides, I want to give it to you. And they do. God saves us by his grace. He saves us simply because he gives it to us. You know you can't earn it. You know you don't deserve it. And God gives it to you anyway. It's simply his gracious decision that gives us blessing. And these are the gifts we receive when we lift up our throne to God's throne of grace. We find God's forgiveness. We find God's blessing. We find God's provision. We find God's healing. We find God's renewal. We find God's comforting presence. And we lay down before God our problems, our sorrows, our needs, our desires, our hopes, our dreams. And we ask that in these places we would receive his favor. In a way, this this passage sounds like a sure thing. In some way, it sounds like you do this and that will happen. It kind of sounds a bit transactional. It sounds like a promise. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy uh, and find grace in our time of need. It sounds like a sure thing. When we approach with confidence, God will pour these things out to us. And yet it may not happen the way we think. I've talked to too many people who who say that that God didn't answer their prayers and therefore I'm going to stop believing in God. I'm going to stop praying. I'm going to stop all this religious business. Yet we know that God may say no to our prayers. Or he may say, oh, just hold on, be patient with our, to our prayers. Or he may say yes to our prayers. God has discerning love. And that discerning love will send us the best answer to our prayers. We will receive what God has to give to us. C.S. Lewis once was asked why he prayed. Things were not going his way and a friend thought it was futile to pray if God was never going to change and things would always go the way humans think they should. And Lewis poignantly replied, I don't pray that I can change God. I pray so God can change me. And when we lift up our hearts to the throne of grace, perhaps the greatest blessing is that things change in us. Maybe that will mean we hold a bit tighter to our faith. Maybe that means we, we see things from a different perspective. I never saw it that way. Or we bear our burden with a bit more resolve. Or we keep striving against evil in this world. A man was walking out of church one day with his friend. And his friend turned, him and t- turned to him and said, Well, it's back to the real world. But as this man said, no, I've been in the real world. I've just been in the place where I saw God on the throne and I joined with all creation in praising him. And now we're going into the world that's unreal. The one that denies that God is on the throne and acts as if God does not exist. Which one do you think is the real world? When we come to worship, we get our perspective right. We see again what is real and what's not. That at the center of the universe is a throne where a good and loving God sits. 
And in prayer, we get to go up there lifting our hearts and our minds and our imaginations and our spirits and, and everything about us. And we are changed for having been there. <coughs> we are blessed. Ah, suddenly my throat. In prayer, we come into the presence of God and we are blessed, we're renewed, we're restored. <clears throat> In yet another way, we turn our eyes away from ourselves and we turn our eyes to God. And there we find freedom and we find blessing and we find transformation that we find nowhere else. So let's now close our eyes and pray once more in this service, approaching the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and grace once more. Let us pray. O oh God, <clears throat> with humble confidence we come before your throne of grace and we see you there in all your majesty and glory upon the throne. At that throne there is lightning and light and color and there's movement and there's praise and sound. Lord, we thank you that we can come to that place today, the place of all power and glory and wisdom and might. We praise you that you hear us, that you answer us, and that you will give us mercy and grace in our time of need. You will not give us what we deserve for the wrongs we've done, and you will give us what we don't deserve because you are gracious and compassionate. Bless us in these moments of prayer in worship. Give us a sense of what's real in this world, a world with you on the throne, a world that will one day see every knee bow in heaven and on earth and confess that Jesus is Lord. Help us to live in this world with eternity in our hearts. Bless our prayer lives, strengthen our relationship with you. We praise you for your great and glorious name. Amen.